Welcome to episode 82 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And so the FAA and FCC 5G clown show continues. And the question I have is, why aren't they front and center addressing the misinformation? You and I have talked about this on, on numerous podcasts, but... Uh, News has been breaking this week about tons of concerns around this, despite the fact that exclusion zones around 50 major airports have been created. And that's given the fact that AT&T and Verizon have begun to light up their C-band spectrum. I read recently that um, there's a coalition called, uh, what, what is it, the, uh, the Americans for, for Airline Safety, something to that effect, um, that, are, that are sending letters, you know, you know that are concerned around airplanes falling out of the sky because of 5G. And it's just, it, it's just so frustrating that the FCC and the FEA can't get their act together, but would love to get your insights on this. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the situation, most of the responsibility lies in the FAA's hands. Um, you know, they, they've commissioned a report that didn't use any kind of commercial 5G equipment to, or 5G network equipment um, to actually test airplane filters. They didn't try to, to gather data on which filters are, are compliant until mm-hmm. this year, which is crazy um, right. because the networks were supposed to launch in December of last year and have been delayed twice, uh, once to January 5th and then again to January 19th, all because of the FAA's report that cited um, spurious emissions. Uh, and, and the weird part is, is that both France and the UK are already using this spectrum. So uh, it doesn't really make sense why spurious emissions would be an issue here, but they aren't there. In addition to all that, the report that the FAA commissioned was out in October of 2020. And at that time, it was still the Trump administration. Um, So they had time between October and January to at least address something or at least create a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and this report didn't use commercial equipment, which meant that we didn't actually know whether or not 5G networks would, would interfere, but we had a feeling that 5G networks might create these spurious emissions. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just not a definitive answer. And you can't, when it comes to FAA and safety, you can't, you can't decide on something whether or not, unless you have definitive data. So they didn't really act on this for a whole year. And then once they started acting on it, you know, AT&T and Verizon were ready to roll. They had their networks, you know, basically built out. They, they had less than 60 days until they were ready to flip the switch. And then they had the delay. So yeah. this, I think, mostly lies in the hands of the FAA, which is within the Department of Transportation and is within the executive branch. So ultimately, this, this does rest on, on Biden and Buttigieg's shoulders. I agree. And it's interesting. So this is a nice segue into your topic. You want to provide, you know, your insights on the launch of C-Band and first impressions and that sort of thing. I've read this week that there have been no major disruptions with aircraft other than several international flights have been canceled for whatever reason. But you want to provide some insight on first impressions. Yeah. So I can give you some insight on the the reason for cancellations first, which is uh, Boeing put out a statement based on the FAA's statements 
So the airline and airlines that, that don't fly in the U.S. Or, or are flying to the U.S., we're going off of what Boeing told them. And then based on that, they made cancellations. So it's everybody being very over, overly cautious, almost to a degree of, of, of excess, just because there isn't actually good data to support one way or the other. So I think it was just a lot of um, snowball effects of fear. Yeah. Uh, but that said, um, Sasha Segan from PC Mag was able actually to not only test Verizon C-band, but also compare it to um, what what kind of um, experiences people could have um, compared to what T-Mobile has today with their mid-band. And he even posted some maps of the exclusion zones, which are right around the runways of airports. So, um, you know, it, it's... It's interesting because the speeds are good. Um, you know, they can, they can be uh, fairly fast. Um, but the thing is, is that Verizon's also got, they have millimeter wave available to them to, um, you know, boost those speeds. And what mm-hmm. Sasha found was that um, while Verizon's C-band is fast, T-Mobile's mid-band is much faster um and you know peak down or you know average downloads he found um were 415 on t-mobile versus uh what he found with c-band which on verizon which was averaging you know around 145 150 um and and the interesting part is that there are um lots of other people going around and testing and what i've seen is that um you, you're getting anywhere between 400 to a gig, which sounds about right for 60 megahertz of C-band. What's mm-hmm. interesting is AT&T has been much less aggressive um, with their, their statements and their rollout. So originally AT&T was supposed to roll out um, this C-band to 70 to 75 million customers by the end of the year. But because of these delays, they will not hit that target. And Verizon is claiming but they'll have 100 million um, users covered by the end of this quarter, I believe. Um, so we'll see what whether or not Verizon's coverage gets to where they claim it will be. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that long-term, both Verizon and AT&T will cover a lot more customers, um, but I think it's going to be a much slower rollout than what we saw from T-Mobile, which is yeah. surprising. Um, but to your point, um, there's also AT&T's rollout, which has been less um, aggressive. Um, and I'm not even getting it here in San Diego. I know you're going to have access to it in Austin. Yeah, but they're only there. launching in like six, seven or eight cities right now. Um, yeah. And uh, I just think that, you know, for all the hype that we've heard, I think that um, C-Band is going to be a much slower conversation than I think people are expecting. Well, people other than you and me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how these um, bolster Verizon and AT&T's overall 5G speeds because the reality is millimeter wave just isn't available in enough places to to really boost the averages and low band just isn't fast enough to really deliver that that hyper-fast 5G experience people are expecting. Absolutely. And that's the whole reason why the FCC raised over 80 plus billion dollars in the C-band auction. 
But let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about an operator, Telefonica. And they've launched a 5G industrial offering. And it gets me thinking, is, could this be a blueprint for other operators? You and I have talked about different operators in different parts of the world that are real leaders with respect to 5G use case versus access. Talked a lot about the South Korean market and SK Telecom, what they're doing around a lot of consumer applications as, as they're also moving into enterprise. The Telefonica launched a partnership with a Spanish company called Grupo Alava, and it's a maintenance system that's aimed at providing data intelligence to industrial companies. And it's all about finding fault and defects in machinery and doing that preemptively to keep manufacturing uh, processes rolling and keep uptime at its highest maximum. And this is a great example from Telefonica, who I believe has been a leader in Europe with respect to focusing on use cases, certainly within the LTE realm. And I've also talked about 5G and how 5G is really very well positioned to supercharge the manufacturing automation use case, which in a private networking scenario, as I've done a lot of research and sized up that opportunity in the different applications within private networking, you hear a lot about you know, autonomy with respect to mining operations and those sort of things, but certainly manufacturing automation is a big one. So I think other operators from around the world can look at this as a blueprint really for enterprise use cases. And I've also spoken about this as well. The, the applications for 5G for consumer, it's gonna be lower latency, it's gonna be mobile gaming, faster throughput, faster movie downloads and that sort of thing, better unbuffered streaming for, for entertainment, AR, VR experiences that you've spoken to as our leader in the firm with, with respect to that use case. But really where, from my perspective, the, the monetization is gonna lie for the operators is within enterprise use cases like this. So not sure if you caught this news, but would love to get any additional insights you might have. I didn't catch this news, but I do think it's interesting because Telefonica is a very um, diversely uh, deployed operator, mm -hmm. right? They have, they have lots of different um, regional operators they run around the world. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how this might translate to, you know, South America where they're very big um, or even other parts of Europe, um, like, you know, in the UK where they have um, O2, which coincidentally uses the exact same band of spectrum as C-band. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where this goes outside of Spain because we see the Spanish operators um, being very creative um and you know outside of say germany i think spain's probably one of the most innovative places when it comes to 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 just being creative with cellular applications and and trying to take advantage of um, new technology yeah and you might credit the fact that uh, mobile world congress has been in barcelona for the last umpteenth number of years so it makes sense that spain would be a leader in cellular deployment and services and all of that good stuff. But let's move to your second topic this week. And you were alluding to speeds and UCLA came out this week with um, their evaluation of T-Mobile's network. And you wanna talk about that? So it was actually an evaluation of all three carriers. Okay. Um, and it basically validates what you and I have been talking about for the last year, that T-Mobile's mid-band really is going to crush um, a 
the competition. And this, these numbers basically validate that. Um, T-Mobile Go basically went out and uh, took first place in everything. Um, first place in download speeds. The, the download speeds include both 4G and 5G. So when you look at 4G and 5G average, T-Mobile's average is 90 megabits per second. Well, Verizon's is 44 and AT&T is 49. So they're almost mm -hmm. double there. Yeah. And then on latency, they're, they're lower than Verizon and AT&T. All three are in the 30s. Mm -hmm. And then consistency score, that's you know a weird waiting thing. I'm, I'm going to walk away from that. Now, 5G performance, and this is really where Midband shows its strength. T-Mobile's median download speed was 187. Verizon's was 78, and AT&T's was 68 mm -hmm. megabits per second. Yeah. So T-Mobile's almost triple where AT&T's average speed, or where AT&T's median download speeds are, and yeah. Verizon, and almost, well, definitely more than double Verizon. So when you look at what T-Mobile has accomplished with this mid-band, it's astonishing. And I think it took them two years to get where they're almost two years to get here. But um, their acquisition of Sprint was absolutely the right way to go about this. It gave them a jump start, right? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean it, this, this takes time. It created the catalyst for competition that simply wasn't there before. Um, and I think a lot of people were right to criticize the merger in terms of having less competition in some senses, but also this has created competition in a way that Verizon and AT&T have never seen before. Um, I don't think, you know, if we had this conversation four years ago, anyone would believe you that T-Mobile would go out and beat AT&T and Verizon on 5G speeds, 5G coverage, 5G availability. You know, if you look at T-Mobile today on this uh, speed test, they, they're getting 61% 5G availability, while AT&T is at 48 and Verizon's at 36 yeah. So they, they're, they're basically just winning in every category. Yeah. I don't see a single category where they lose. And um, yeah, I mean, speaking from my own experience, I have been absolutely shocked by what I've seen on T-Mobile. Yeah. You know, I get my mid-band, I get way more often than I get anything else now. Mm -hmm. And it's 400 megabits is like the floor for me. And I've seen as high as a gig and that's without any millimeter wave at all. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, it's all about mid-band. Uh, T-Mobile with its acquisition of Sprint got a jump start, And C-Band is all about Verizon and AT&T filling in that, those, uh, those mid-band gaps. But that's a nice segue to my third and final topic this week. And I wanna talk about um, the recent Andromeda auction. This is the FCC auction 110. And although the operators are compelled to a quiet period until January 31st, the news has come out around who the big winners were. And AT&T was the biggest spender. Uh, they spent uh, just over $9 billion for over 1,600 permits. DISH spent $7.3 Not surprising, given where they're at and building out their, uh, their 5G network. T-Mobile committed about $3 billion for about 200 licenses. What's interesting about the profile of the spectrum is that it's in the 3.45 gigahertz range. So actually it has better propagation and balance of performance characteristics than C-band. And when you sort of look at 
just AT&T for a moment, how much they purchased relative to how that might compare with, within C-band, they got a, an extremely great value for what for the dollar from, from my perspective, as far as amount of spectrum and just the fact that the characteristic of it is slightly better because that C-band is in the upper three, right? To four gigahertz and change uh, range. And so from my perspective, AT&T is a big winner here and this really helps them cost effectively shore up their, their mid band. And clearly Verizon paid a lot of money, much, they paid much more obviously in C-band than AT&T did. And so they, they spent more money and it's gonna cost more money for them to densify that build out as well. But I know you follow this quite closely. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I kind of looked over what the, um, the cost was per license. Um, and interestingly enough, the most expensive was actually uh, Columbia Partners, which was a, they're like a, they're like a venture capital firm, private equity firm. Um, yeah. And they paid something like $77 million per license. Wow. Um, but I have a feeling that those licenses are in areas where say Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile will want to lease from them. Mm -hmm. um, T-Mobile has actually leased 600 megahertz spectrum from them before. So I have a feeling that they're going to try and capitalize on it that way. Um, T-Mobile ended up paying quite a bit per license because they had so few licenses. But I also believe that they paid more for them because they were very targeted and yeah. they only needed those licenses and they were going to pay whatever they needed to to get them for because they probably helped bolster um, their C-band holdings um, wherever they you know, didn't think that they needed to spend on C-band. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, to your point, Verizon did spend an absolute ton of money on their C-band holdings. Um, $45 billion is nothing to shake at. No. And um, the truth is they did get a considerable amount of spectrum. I think it's like, um, it's over a hundred. So I, I think that with this auction, since there was only a hundred megahertz auctioned, um, obviously they couldn't bid that much. No bidder could get more than 40 megahertz right. was the rule. Um, so I expect that AT&T is going to get the full 40 in most places. Right. Um, and I expect Dish will probably get somewhere between 20 and 40 in, in a lot of markets. Um, because I think Dish is, they need it, right? If you look at their, their holdings right now, it's mostly low band. So yes. they're going to need something to build capacity on their 5G network. So right. this, this is, a, it's, I think it's a, it's a good win for Dish, especially when you consider how close this is to CBRS. Mm -hmm. and what they could be doing there with um, private networks um, mm -hmm. and taking advantage of all the equipment um, that has that open ran, you know, is building towards 3.5. Um, so I think there's some synergies there, but overall, I think it was a good auction. That said, $22 billion is also still a lot of money. And in terms of auctions is I think the third biggest auction we've ever had. Yeah. Um, and the U S of course has the most expensive auctions in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's a different discussion I think we should have yeah. um, about whether or not we should be charging operators so much money for spectrum um, because ultimately they're gonna have to pass those costs down to consumers. Um, and if we're charging these operators so much money, isn't this just consumers charging themselves? So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's a good thing that this 
you know, Spectrum is going to be available um, and hopefully it clears soon. I forget what the clearing date is on this, but I have a feeling it's somewhere in 2023. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, it's going to be another band to have in addition to all the other ones. And it is globally harmonized with other operators around the world. So Good point. Yeah. that's the one thing I think AT&T also thinks about is how can we partner with other carriers around the world for roaming? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm an AT&T customer. I'll admit that. Um, although I do have phones from T-Mobile and, uh, and Verizon as well that I like to play with. But when I travel internationally, um, it's been a good experience for me. When I'm in Barcelona, when, when I've been in other parts of the world, it's been a good experience. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And I caught this news as well, but I haven't dug into it yet. But Ericsson apparently is after Apple for some 5G patent infringement. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So this is a, a new filing that happened on Monday. Um, and basically what it's saying is that Apple is in violation of standard essential patents um, that are 12 um, patents. And, and essentially what they're saying is that um, this license agreement, um, ex- there was a license agreement that expired um, from 2015. Mm-hmm. There were talks um, which were designed to you know, renew this, this 2015 settlement and they didn't go anywhere, which sounds somewhat familiar. Um, and then the thing is that Ericsson wants $5 per iPhone and wow. Apple says that it should pay less. <laughs> right. And um, Apple believes it should pay less because the market share is greater now than it was in 2015. Yeah. Um, and that the patents in the device that Ericsson holds have decreased. So um, they believe that um, they shouldn't be paying those rates, which is almost the same argument they had with Qualcomm, right. which they ended up losing. Yep. Um, so, you know, this is just another, um, another spat where Apple doesn't want to pay um, its suppliers. Um, this is a slightly different situation, but not entirely because um, Ericsson's obviously not supplying any equipment directly to, Eric, to Apple like Qualcomm was. Right. Um, they're just licensing these patents. But at yeah. the core of what Apple was arguing against Qualcomm was the licensing of patents. Sure. So um, the interesting thing is this new suit is filed in the Western District of Texas, which is very uh, patent friendly. Very famous, very famous. <laughs> also, Texas is now a very big center of operations for Apple. So any, any judgments on Apple in Texas will very likely be binding and co- could potentially be costly to Apple because yeah. uh, you know Austin, where you live, is a very big center of operations for the company both yep. in the chip side and in, you know, almost other, all other capacities. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what this new lawsuit um, does for the companies. But in the end, uh, you know, Apple wants to reduce the costs of their devices. And um, I think that when you look at where things are going, I have a feeling that Apple is going to get more involved in the 5G 
patent arena mm -hmm. and also get more involved in the standards process as they start to build their own, their own modem. Um, so we'll see what happens down the road, but I think this might be one of the last um, big spats that Apple has uh, when it comes to patents before they start launching their modem. Yeah, and your insights are, are straight on with, uh, with Texas. That is a very famous part of Texas where it's been, it's been going on for years and years and years where companies sue each other. Apple's campus here in Austin, Texas is its second largest next to its main headquarters in the Bay Area. So there's some strategic you know, posturing going on there from Ericsson's uh, standpoint, but Ericsson has significant operations in the state of Texas as well, especially in mm -hmm. Dallas. But yeah, we'll, we'll continue to monitor that situation. I'm sure we'll have you know, future fodder on future podcasts, but it's been another great one this week, my friend. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Saad. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune again next week.